Welcome back to Following Noah Donis from my podcast. This week is episode 108, and we are discussing chapters 20 through 24 of Rhythm of War, entering part two of Rhythm of War. Paul, how are you? Great. Glad to be back on screen, I guess, uh, for any of those who watch our YouTube videos. Uh, long story short, I got some extremely severe sunburns uh and honestly i wasn't gonna mess with putting a shirt on it was it was really bad uh if you want further details let me know but i'm gonna leave it at that elliot how are you i'm doing great i'm doing great this last week i've really appreciated the escape of of fantasy like life has been pretty stressful and overwhelming but i've just really loved those moments where i get to sit down open my book and just like take a deep breath it's like Ah, Stormlight, let's go. It, it's been very empowering for me this last week. Yeah, I, I can relate to that a lot as well. We have a lot of Shallan this week, uh, or Shallan Veil Radiant. And we'll be talking about that um, a decent amount today. We also have a, a special DID segment at the beginning of this episode, which we'll get into in a second here but uh we'll we'll save that for a second can i get two words to summarize this episode uh paul yes my two words for this episode are internal emotions okay internal emotions elliot and i have shifting allegiances all right let's use these four words and talk about rhythm of war All right, gentlemen, we have an audio clip from a community member um, to talk about this week, and it has to do with Shalon's DID, and I want to preface this whole segment with just a, a disclaimer for our for our listeners. The I think I've done an injustice by to, to you two, um, because I've deliberately not talked about this very often on the podcast simply because I don't feel I'm a very good source to talk about it on the podcast. I don't know that much about it. And so I may have even like misrepresented it to you two, but, and then there's the whole discussion of, you know, Brandon Sanderson changes the representation between Oathbringer and the before, but that's a whole nother thing. But we will talk about DID here for a second. Um, and we've got an audio clip, which we can listen to, but just, Quick 30-second thoughts on, on DID and Shallan before we listen to this clip, uh, Paul or Elliot. Oh, so I guess for me, um, I've been thinking about this a little bit, and, and like Trevor said, I'm in no way an expert, but it's apparent to see from what we've read that, I, I mean, I personally would argue that, that this is a bigger part of Shallan's character than even... Um, like we talked about Kaladin with depression. Um, I would argue that this is maybe a bigger focal point for Shallan than that is with Kaladin, just from how much we've seen it over the course of uh, our books, just, I guess, pure, purely based on screen time. Uh, so, yeah. 
I, I definitely feel like this topic is one that I'm not very familiar with and definitely can be confusing for me at times, especially some of the the chapters we read this week actually going through was I had to even pause it at a few times like, what is going on with, with this person? So I'm actually... I'm shifting my perspective a little bit and trying to trying to dig into and trying to learn more about kind of who Shalon is and why she's doing like why this is happening to her. So it's it, it is. I, I like your comment there, Paul, that I think this is very integral to Shalon's character. So trying to figure out that is kind of my my goal for you know going forward with Shalon, trying to figure out why this is happening and how it affects her kind of story arc as a whole. Sounds good. Let's listen to this audio clip from Ace. They are a, a moderator in our Discord, and they've submitted this for uh, for our listening on the podcast. So let's listen to this real quick. Hey, folks. This is Ace. Uh, I'm really glad to be able to send this your way, and hopefully it'll make it onto the podcast for yours and viewers' consideration. Um, this is regarding Shalon's mental state. Shalon has DID or dissociative identity disorder. Uh, there are plenty of more in-depth and more expert explanations of it that anyone reading these books should check out. Uh, I'll ask that we can include a link to at least one video in the description. So in the Stormlight context, many of our characters are dealing with trauma, which like real life manifests differently for each person. Uh, for Shalon, essentially that trauma piled up so severely in her formative years that it sort of broke her brain. Think shards of adonalsium or the splintering of honor, but at the level of human consciousness. And I know a bit about this because while I've not been diagnosed with DID, I do experience dissociation and have experienced treatment dealing with shadow work, which has some things in common to the manifestation and the treatment of DID. Now back to Shalon. Like with any manifestation of trauma, the end goal is, of course, to put the pieces back together. But it can't be forced. I mean, look at how it caught up with Kaladin in this book. Now, imagine trying to do this without any medical insights, when one of your prime symptoms is memory loss. Quite a challenge. And although it's not the end goal, the formation of alters, or Shalon's personas, is part of treatment, or it's at least a vital coping mechanism. Her mind cannot take any more, and so Vale and Radiant emerge to protect her until she heals a bit and can handle it herself. Maybe think of it as sort of a mental equivalent to being forced to run a marathon without any training and needing to rest before exercising again. And what I think is most important to understand so we can avoid, you know, any ableist language or tendencies is that Shalon isn't choosing this. It's what her brain needs and has automatically done in order for her to deal. And her relying on her personas or her alters isn't regression. It's the only form of stability she can find at this moment in time. Uh, Vale and Radiant, they're not full people, obviously, but they're not fake either. They're parts of Shalon, parts of her personality, 
compartmentalized so that she can move forward in the world without risking further triggers and trauma at every turn. It's like the parts of her that are good at, you know, the espionage and the discovery are in veil, and then the parts of her that uh, want to learn, want to be disciplined, want to learn to use her skills the best, are in Radiant. Um, and, you know, some of this is inspired by the people around her, but, like, who of us has a personality that is completely unique and not inspired by, by the people we meet in the media we consume? So, it's just that rather than having kind of one steady shifting consciousness, it's super compartmentalized. And it's easy to say, you know, just get over it, Shalon, but she's not putting on a show. She's surviving with the tools she's been given. And, you know, it's a necessary part of her healing. Thank you for that. Really appreciate the, the input. What'd you guys think? Yeah, big thanks to to Ace. Thank you so much for for weighing in on on this topic. One that, like I said, I'm I'm definitely unfamiliar with and not quite sure how to how to dive in further. So this was this was helpful stuff here. I have a few thoughts, but Paul, you can give your first thoughts too. Oh, uh, sim- similar to you, uh, always appreciate uh, anytime people want to chime in and and give their thoughts on what we're reading or, or things that maybe uh we should look into uh so i really appreciate it um and yeah we'll we'll kind of dive in further the the number one thing i was thinking of i guess we can just start here is with the added reminder that her mind is like forced to do this and this isn't like a voluntary thing. This is an involuntary thing that her mind has been doing. It makes the events of these chapters all the more frightening and, and scary that Vale is able to f- like take control and make Shalon physically ill, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, that she can, she can take control of her mind and re- recruit these other light weavers who Shalon and Radiant didn't want on on the mission it just uh, gives it a better scope of the seriousness of this i actually have a, a question before we go much further actually just out of curiosity um mostly for trevor because he he's kept up with a lot of this but have there been like questions asked to brandon sanderson about this like what has he said or, or is there much because I, I was curious because he's talked a lot i guess about kaladin in that, or from what I know, I haven't personally watched them, but I've heard from you, who I trust has watched a lot of the stuff. Right. Um, and so I, I was kind of curious about that. So, yes, Brandon Sanderson's been asked a lot about this. And between, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast before or not, but between Oathbringer and Rhythm of War, he had a DID consultant uh, talk with him about representing DID correctly. And he made some very specific changes between Oathbringer and Rhythm of War, changed some of the language, changed some of the um, personification of the voices, uh, like deliberately so that Radiant and Vale and Shallan felt even more separate than they did in Oathbringer, where they feel like different characters as opposed to one character talking to themselves. 
So there's there there are several uh changes that Brandon Sanderson's been making to Shalon over the last, past couple books. I'm I'm glad to know that because I I didn't consciously like I didn't think that big about it because it's it's subtle but I could kind of tell that like the relationship between um like Vale and Brightness Radiant and Shalon seemed different in how they communicated so uh that makes sense cuz we've read it throughout Oathbringer and stuff um but it but it did feel different now and I I didn't put that much thought into it but knowing that makes a lot of sense A few of the things that <clears throat> a few of the things that Ace said that I think are helping me frame this a little bit in my head is it's I don't know why I keep like blocking this out of my brain. It is so easy to forget the incredible trauma that Shalon has been through. You just you kind of see her functioning pretty well as a human being, and you almost forget the the terrible things that have happened to her. You know, I, I think back to those flashbacks we read in words of radiance and remember those moments, like where you get, you know, that skin crawly, creepy feels Shalon went through that. Right. And so this, I, I loved how Ace explained it as like a, sh- a shattering, just like the, the shattering of, of honor into, you know, these little bits of, of investiture or whatever. Shalon is broken. And it's and it's showing in that her personality is broken into these compartmentalized portions, and that this is this is a coping mechanism for the trauma that she's been through. That I think helps me understand this at least a little bit. And that's not necessarily something we didn't know, but I agree, it's easy to forget, and I'm not sure why. Because, well, and maybe it's because I don't relate to it as much, but I remember Kaladin's like backstory fairly well, and I keep that in mind as I'm reading his present day chapters. But I, I, I do agree that it's easy to shelve Shalon's Shalon's past for some reason. And I, and it's not I, necessarily that we've forgotten it. I think it's just maybe we. I, I don't take it into account as I'm watching Shalon deal with her daily struggles. Right, you, you're kind of. I'm looking for, you know, where is Shalon going? But sometimes as I'm looking for, okay, what's what's she going to do? How is she going to make this decision? I'm just not taking into account the events of her past necessarily, even though I, I know full well exactly what happened. But I think that helps explain why this is happening to her. I, I agree with Elliot. Uh, a lot of what I wanted to point out was that, or, or at least with what Trevor said, I don't think I've really like forgotten her backstory. I don't know if I can forget it res- <laughs> like respectfully. It's very distinct and very like vivid and, and like, you know, it, it was very significant to our story um, into her character. Um, and, and yeah, and it, it, you know, it, it makes more sense that way. So, um, Cool. Thanks for thanks for your input, uh, guys. If you guys have any more input down in the comment section, feel free to uh, talk about DID with us. We'd love to learn more and entertain conversations. 
All right, let's circle back to our two words for this episode. We'll go with Elliot first. My two words. Oh, goodness, what were they? I've forgotten them already. Aha, there they are. Shifting allegiances. This actually plays directly into the DID a bit. We see, especially in Chapter 20, really getting into our different personas, our, our alters, I guess, that Shalon has, and them. We have a moment where Vale kind of takes control, and it, it's, it starts to kind of make me wonder, like, where do the allegiances lie for all of these personas of Shalon? But then also some of our other characters as well. Shalon is surrounded by her light weavers, but we know there's a spy in there. So there's kind of the 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 spy hunt, the mole hunt, if you will, going on there. And then I can also kind of rope Teft into this. We get a cool scene with uh, with Teft later, and it seems like maybe his allegiances are shifting just a little bit. I can explain that a little more when we get there, but that was the two words. Paul? Uh, mine were internal emotions, and internal um, kind of goes two ways. Uh, the first way is kind of that uh, Shalon knowing that there's a spy amongst her Lightweavers. Um, and just kind of having to be internally worried about her own crew, not just the external problems, I guess, being the fused or like, you know, everything that's going on at hand. Um, and then that also internal also goes with the other word of internal emotions. And that's talking about Adolin and Dalinar. And there's a lot of uh, pent up feelings and unresolved. I don't even want to say unresolved conflict. It's just a pain that's it. It's internal emotions. I don't know what else to call it. Um, with Adolin towards his dad, um, regarding the death of his mother, and I'm I'm glad this happened. That sounds mean, not not in a bad way. But Elliot had mentioned before about like, are we gonna see this? Or did the, like the conversation kind of happened off screen, which we're I guess a little upset about, but. We are getting to, I guess, see some of that now, uh, which I didn't know if we would. So, Yeah, I was going to bring this up. We haven't talked about this yet. But Elliot, you were fairly vocal about your disappointment with Adolin Renarin's realization that their dad killed their mom happened off screen. And we're getting a, we're, we're getting the emotional remove like the this is not the like the emotional reaction conversation, but this is. It's not finished, clearly, in, in Adolin's mind. He he holds a grudge against Dalinar, and that's putting it kindly. I was so... Paul, Paul you phrased it well. I was so relieved, in a weird way, to, to, to see this, that we're actually going to be able to address this. I, I'm not relieved that there's conflict here. Like, I don't... I'm not excited that Adolin has to, to deal with this with his, his father, but I am excited that we get to dive into that we get to explore that as part of adolin's character because i was going to be really mad if we just glossed over it completely and it wasn't even a thing because that was so important to me it, it seemed like a huge part of the family dynamic and their character journeys that i was so worried that with jumping a year forward we were just going to miss it completely so the fact that we do have a little scene where Dalinar and Adolin are kind of having to struggle with this a little bit and seeing a little bit of conflict there. Uh, I'm excited that that's part of the story. 
All right. Before we go too far, we are resurrecting the spell check for for Paul's uh, dismay here. And yay! I don't know when the last time we did one of these was, but I think it's been a while. And we have some some interesting, colorful new names to talk about real quick. So let's get right to it. The first one is our new Stone Ward, who has joined our excursion into Shadesmar. Uh, Elliot, how would you like to try to pronounce this name? I think you're starting off easy with me. I hope this is true anyway. The only possible pronunciation of this name has to be Zoo. You're right. Okay. But now that you're saying, oh, you must be starting off easy on me, has me questioning everything. So I'll just uh, give my reasoning. I went the same route as the pronunciation of Zeth. So I did S-Z-U. I debated between that and O's. It's just Z-U, unfortunately. Z U is just Z U. Okay, so no. That wasn't S. a bad idea, but I even got the simpler. U right at least. It's okay. not. I believe I've... Zoo is Eerie, or from from Eer. She's Eeriali. Eeriali from Eerie. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And that's close to to Shinovar, So the your cultural uh, bleeding there could have been warranted. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it to you. Appreciate it. I, I I was really afraid after Elliot said, oh, this is too easy, that it was just going to be Z-O-O, like an <laughs> animal zoo. Like an animal zoo. Yeah. And I, yeah. Anyways, we're close. All right. And her spren is the second one. Elliot, how would you like to pronounce this name? Getting a little trickier now for her spren's name. I'm going to go with Uapam. Maybe. You're not exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of sad about it. Um, so the way that they pronounce the Spren's name in the audiobook is Wapom. Okay. I'm right. I, at least I've always heard yep. it as Wapom. Yep, you're correct. And so assuming it is pronounced Wapom, I spelled it as W-A-U-P-O-M. And so hearing Elliot's pronunciation, I knew that went out the window right away. You're you're not very close. So it is UA, which I'm assuming you already figured out, apostrophe mm. P-A-M. Okay. And, ooh, and that's ooh, not the worst. Oh yeah, we're well, we saved the best for last. Elliot, <laughs> go ahead. This is so, the this is the truth watcher that comes on. on uh, so she was an edge dancer, and Lyft gives her Lyft doesn't like saying people's crazy names, so she gives them new names. So this is the stump, um, for for us readers, and this is her real name. This one, this one made me think. It, it seems like it might be simple at first, but then the more I thought about it, the more I started getting crazy ideas. Plus, I think this name, this character is from a region we're not super familiar with, so I, I couldn't even try and draw like any comparisons to other cultures and names. I'm probably giving Paul too many hints here, so I'll just go for it. 
I'm going to go off off trail a little bit with this one. I think it's going to be pronounced Arshkum. You're close. You're very close. Um, the pronunciation is Arsh Arshkom. Okay. Okay. Like it's a com. I th- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Good luck. I have to share what I wrote. Good, good luck. <laughs> okay. This so one, this one is like... not nice to you. I will be honest. I I'll, I'll put a okay. hundred dollars down now. You ain't getting this. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. While Elliot was explaining, I kind of jotted down another one. I, I will give my initial guesses just off of hearing it from the audiobook. And then before you tell me how close I am, I would like to share sure. my like secondary ones. Um, okay, so my initial was just kind of going basic. I had A-R-S-H-K-O-M. Arshkom. Okay. But with a K, pretty much. Hearing that it was difficult, I thought, okay, there's probably no A. It just starts with an R. So I'm okay. going with, for my second guess, I guess, which I've never had an official second guess. Uh, oh, the ending is actually what I don't know at all. I had R S H. Okay. C O M E. I unfortunately nope. <laughs> your your first one's closer. Okay. So you, that's kind of reassuring actually. That there is an A. It is A R S H Q Q A M. Okay. I see. Okay. That's kind of that's kind of mean. Why didn't but you get I, that? I, Hello? Yeah, I should have known the double Q. Yep. That's definitely common. Yep. Arsh qualm. Okay. All right, it's time to go. Later. <laughs> That's funny. As far as percentage ba- base, you might have been done better with Rock's name as opposed to Arshcom's name. Maybe so. Double Qs. Who does that? Yeah. All right. Now let's actually talk about the book. Chapter twenty. We have the beginning of part two. This chapter is titled "The Unseen Court," and. Uh, Shalon, Vale, and Radiant are walking down the halls of Yurthiru, and they're kind of musing to themselves of, my, my group of Lightweavers, we're, we're a team. And other Lightweavers, if they come in, they can start their own teams, but we're going to be exclusive. We're going to be the, you know, the Unseen Court is what we're going to name ourselves. And there's a line, I think Radiant is uh, the point of view at the time, where Radiant thinks like that name is pretty cringe. But Shalon and Shalon and Vale like really like you know the unseen court like it's edgy you know gang name or whatever. So what do you guys think of this chapter? I was appreciating the the differences between the Windrunners and sort of the the very structured knights squires progression that the Windrunners have, and then the Light Weavers are kind of like yeah whatever it's all good. They, We're all part of the unseen court. Yeah, they give Shalon a title because she was like the first one, but then the rest of them are just agents. Like, doesn't matter really what uh, oath you're on. If you have a spren, you're you're an agent, and that's that's it. 
I didn't I, have an awful lot to add. I think you'll uh, summarize the beginning here pretty well. There's some stuff kind of later on um, in this chapter I think is interesting, but this is just me saying good comments, guys. <laughs> what next? The, the, the only other thing I noted here was that somewhat reflective of Shalon herself, there's not nearly as much trust in the Lightweaver group as there is Windrunners. Like the Windrunners, they're built out of Bridge 4, right? Where right. Kaladin built the entire structure of it, built on that incredible trust he established with them because he put his life on the line to save theirs. <clears throat> you know, back to like part one of Way of Kings. Shalon, though, her group is very not that. They all kind of, you know, I imagine them kind of, you know, a little bit shifty looking at each other. Do I trust you? Are you part of the group? Which is, you know, I think reflective of Shalon, who can't even trust, you know, the different parts of herself. So they're still a group of Knights Radiant. They're still agents of good. They're still there forwarding the cause. But there's not quite that tight-knit, you know, brothers kind of bond that Bridge Four and the Windrunners have. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Summarize it perfectly. There's an interesting part in this chapter, though, where Shalon is talking to herself about who do I bring on the mission? All right, we're we're going to we're going to Shadesmar. We're going to Lasting Integrity, which we mentioned our our story quest and our side quest uh, line up, and we're going to the same spot for both of them, and. She's trying to figure out, okay, who's the who's the spy that Moraes has in the Lightweavers, or allegedly has. He may not even. He might have just said that. Um, and which is what Radiant uh says. But Vale's like, oh no, there's a spy. Of course there is. So Vale's says to the other two, we should bring the spy with us so we can figure out who it is while we're while we're gone. And Shalana and Vale, or sorry, Shalana and Radiant are against that idea and say, no, that's, that's stupid. Why would we bring the, the spy with us? Keep, keep the spy away. And then Vale says, no, you two are stupid. I'm taking control. We're going to bring these three with us and we're going. With thoughts on this, I, I guess. I, th I thought this was funny because they're like, we need to figure out who the spy is. We should bring the spy with us. Or, no, we shouldn't bring the spy with us. And I'm like, well, if we're figuring out who the spy is right now, like, what's the what's the fuss about, you know? <laughs> Just figure out who the spy is, and then you're fine. Like, they, I feel like it almost was acting like they knew. And there's probably, like, leading guesses, I guess. Um, but, no, this this is an interesting conundrum, I guess, for Shalon to have right now. Um, finding out who the imposter is, you know? Um... But yeah, I, I have no idea what the answer I would choose there is. Like, do I want to leave, hypothetically leave the spy here or take him with me? I have no no clue. I would just hope there's no spy, I think. I hope it's just a rumor. I I found this chapter confusing. The 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 POV switches, the point of view changes, I'll call them, between the three, as they've been dubbed, starts to get a little crazy at moments. I, I had to reread a few chapters because I'm like, 
wait a second. I, I thought I was in Shalon's head as I was going through this, but then by the end of the paragraph, same paragraph across a single paragraph, we switch at least once, if not twice amongst Vale, Radiant and, and Shalon. So keeping track of like the bouncing ball of, of who is talking and who's thinking got a little challenging at, at times, especially the moment there were Vale takes over. I feel like that's important because we, we, we just talked about DID, right? And the, these different personas are there. It's Shalon's coping mechanism. They're there to protect her or to help her react to certain situations. But in this instance, Vale, it, it's it's no longer a like defensive thing, and it becomes almost a, like an aggressive thing. Yeah. Is what it feels like. Vale forcibly takes over, which seems to have physical impacts on Shalon. You know, her body feels physically ill. Vale does something against the will of the other two and then kind of retreats back afterwards. This this seems different than what we've seen before. And who does she bring? Who does Vale bring? Vale chooses Ishna, who's been around before. We've seen her. Yep. Vatha, who he's definitely been around. He was part of those mercenaries mm-hmm. that... that Shalon kind of inducted into her entourage. Yep. And then she originally chooses Stargile. Yeah. But then a very suspicious thing happens in that Stargile all of a sudden can't make it because his wife is ill or or something like that. I don't even remember what it was. Yep. And, And lo and behold, Beryl's coming along convenient convenient yes i'm glad you caught that so yes so ishna is the girl who's spying on her in oathbringer and saying hey you're part of the ghost bloods i want to be part of the ghost bloods ishna or sorry vatha is the old mercenary guy he's been around the longest and then yes stargile who coincidentally is uh an easter egg for for readers and people who enjoy the Brandon Sanderson books. Most of the cover art is done by Steve Argyle. And he, Brandon Sanderson put uh, mm-hmm. Steve Argyle in the books here for, for Stargyle is his name. And the cover art is very good. So I'm a big fan of Stargyle already. I'm sorry. I'm going to get corrected on that. The cover art is Michael Whalen. The, uh, the radiant art on my wall and a lot of like the action art is Steve Argyle. Okay. Okay. So kind of back to the, like, what would you do? Would you pick the spy or not? I, I kind of want, my suspicion is already on barrel here. Cause I feel like it almost might not matter what you pick because what happens might reveal something if you don't pick the spy they're probably going to want to come along if they're getting directions from rays if you do pick the spy and nothing happens then yeah very likely you you brought the spy yeah and lo and behold somebody whittles their way into the into the group so whether that's a coincidence or whether that is you know obvious the word escapes me but evidence then we shall see. 
And then as they leave, Marais gives her what? The cube. Yes, the magic cube. Any ideas what this is, what the rules of this are? This this is my biggest question from this chapter. Because everything that we've come across, especially from Marais, Marais seems to have investiture or gadgets or what's a who's it's from every place in this galaxy. Yep. And we're always able to point out where it's from, at least. If we haven't read the story, that's fine. But we can we can be like, oh well I this is from this planet. This I don't I don't know. Is it from a place we just haven't read, haven't looked at, or is this unwritten about? Do we know at all? I don't know. I would assume either one of those. Something I was trying to figure out that would be a dead giveaway is, is it stormlight powered? If it's stormlight powered, that would make it seem clearly it, it's just from this world. It's another Fabriel. But it doesn't appear to be stormlight powered, but it's also kind of a like fully encased cube. So Shalon can't even open up to see what's inside. So maybe it is just a Fabriel, and maybe it's just from this this world, but... That's not quite the impression I got. It seems like maybe we're talking about a something magical from a different world. And he specifically tells her, don't open it or you'll break it. So, you know, of uh-huh. course, of course, she was going to open it and investigate if if he didn't say that. Which planet is a Pandora's box from? Earth. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was a dumb question. <laughs> I was trying to be funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Anything else from this chapter before we go talk about Adolin? And I guess Shalon has like a line of point of view in this next chapter. But Adolin is getting ready for the Shadesmar adventure. And yes, I. This actually happens in this chapter, but Beryl finds her way into the the mission, and Stargile's wife is sick, so he's staying in Yerthiru. And Adolin, this is kind of our catch-up chapter in a lot of ways. We're, we're getting caught up with a lot, a lot of odds and ends that we didn't really know we were missing, like Dalinar's Rashadium. Uh, Adolin and him have been hanging out the last year and getting a good bond. So what's, what's his Rashadium's name? Gallant. Thank you. Yes. Yep. Get, so Gallant's going on the mission as well. And he's basically a pack animal for all of Adolin's swords. <laughs> what did you guys think of the, the eight or 10 swords that Adolin brings on the, on the mission with him? If there are two things that Adolin can talk about for hours. It's fashion and swords. Uh, we, we've learned this already, right? I just stop and like actually look at it. It was a solid page and a half of just Adolin describing swords. Oh, this sword is, is this, and it's intended for this purpose. Oh, but I also need this one in case we come up against this kind of enemy, and I need to fight with this kind of style. But then also, this one just looks the best on my hip, so I need to put it here. I brought this special scabbard for it because it's actually super important. Like... You can just totally imagine the guy just rambling on and on and on. You, you could like walk away from the conversation and he's still just going to stand there talking about his swords. That, Apparently he loves them so much. 
that's what Gadecki has to do. There's several times where Gadecki <laughs> tries to walk away from Adolin, and eventually he does. He just walks away as Adolin's still talking. So actually, what I tuned in to the most, tuned into the most here, the swords were were all fun. Like that, that was exciting, I guess, to hear about. Um, but I didn't really put this together. But I guess Rashadium don't really like have multiple riders commonly like right they like have a bond with their one person that they kind of like choose um and so it's really unique apparently for gallant to host dalinar and then also have a bond with adolin as well um which i thought was interesting um a horse with high standards i guess i don't know <laughs> yeah that was these were actually introduced a long time ago. And this was part or this a dynamic keyed into part of Sadius's jealousy of Dalinar was Sadius was never chosen by Rashadium. And like basically the entire Colin family had Rashadiums. So And then we get the conversation that Elliot's been craving. Go ahead. So the scene here where they're it's kind of the the send off, right? They're they're going into the oath gate, they're headed into Shadesmar, off on the mission, and Adolin kind of has a the farewell with with Dalinar, but it goes down a little bit tensely. Dalinar's really pushing Adolin to try and be honorable, to to follow in the present-day Dalinar's footsteps. And he's he's pushing pretty hard, to, you know, throwing out examples like Sadius and Teravangian to him and, and trying to, you know, pretty clearly say, hey, don't be like them. Don't do things, don't justify your actions by the ends. He 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 pulls out the the journey before destination line, I think, on him. And I like what he's saying. I like that Dalinar, that there's a there's a point there where he says, Adolin, I just want you to be the best man that you can be. And like, as a father myself, that embodies everything I wish for my sons. I want to give them the tools to be the best possible men that they can be. That being said, I think he might be being a little bit pushy here and, and Adolin reacts a little bit negatively here, right? He's like, father, let me be myself. Don't try to force yourself onto me and this is where we start to pull in the, the the tension, the conflict of Adolin has now learned that Dalinar's recklessness and fury and battle lust ended up in the death of his mother. And so Adolin's kind of sitting there like, hey, you're telling me to be honorable. You're telling me to be this perfect person. And yet you have such a dark past. You've committed these huge sins. How can you speak to me about such a thing? And that's a tough. Tough, tough questions. So this is a. I like the tension in this scene. I think it's the bottom line, actually. The, yeah, I completely agree. All the things that Dalinar wants for Adolin is all well and good, but from Adolin's perspective, it's just the wrong conversation at the wrong time. All, all Adolin's thinking of is, he he still got this grudge. Uh, you, you killed my mother, and you didn't tell me about it for, you know, fifteen years. 
and that's all he can think about whenever he sees Dalinar. So him trying to lecture him on, oh, you shouldn't have killed Sadius. You, you're going to become like Teravangian the ends justify the means, all that. Like, that's all great. But Adolin's not hearing, he's not hearing it. And maybe that's doing a little bit of disjustice to, to Adolin. He, he does a fair job of handling his emotions in this, in this chapter. His internal dialogue is very different than his external dialogue with, with Dalinar, so... And, and it's not like Adolin's going down a terribly wrong path. I mean, flip back to the very beginning of this very chapter, chapter 21. Adolin goes and visits Kaladin. He, he takes time. They're, they're trying to leave. Shallan is like rushing him like, hey, we got to go. We got to go. And Adolin's like, ah, give me an hour. I got something important to do. And he runs off to check on Kaladin. Like, this is Kaladin who Adolin and Kaladin did not get along. Like, they were enemies when they first met. And now here's Adolin knowing that Kaladin's going to struggle with this whole retirement from the military thing. So he's taking time out to go visit him. Like, that's yeah. so cool. That's that's so awesome that, that Adolin is checking in with, with Kaladin. Like, Adolin's a good guy. He's a really good guy. Like, one of the best in the story. So I'm not quite sure where I was going with that. But it's not like Dalinar needs to, you know, pull him out of the, the gutter and the ditch and get him on the right path. He, he's He's pretty much already on the right path, I yeah. think. That reminded me of one of the funniest things ever written in a Stormlight book. Kaladin becomes the surgeon. All the single ladies come down with a headache in the entire tower. That is so funny to me when I read it for the first time. I remember when Rhythmore came out and I listened to that on audiobook. I was like, I laughed so hard that, you know. Adolin's like, oh man, I'm no longer single. You're the most eligible single bachelor in the tower. All the girls are going to be hanging out with you. And then Kaladin like looks pretty uncomfortable. And then Adolin's like, no way, it's already happening. And then he looks out in the hallway. There's like a big line of single ladies waiting to see him with you know headaches and coughs or whatever that they're faking. So I I thought that was so funny. That is hilarious. I don't know how, but I. I didn't pick that up that that was the case. <laughs> I feel real dumb right now. I guess because I didn't read that part twice. But that's well, actually really hilarious. The the best part of it, in my opinion, is is probably part of why you missed it, Paul. Caliban kind of missed it. it. It Adolin is telling him this, like, "Hey, have you noticed that ninety percent of your patients are eligible single light eyes?" And he's like, "Oh." That's why there's so many of those out in the waiting room. It's like, you know, Adolin has to face palm. He's like, dude, you don't even realize what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. And then Syl is there being his little reading assistant, which is, is pretty cute. So back back to the end of this chapter real quick to kind of finish up what's in the content in this one. Dalinar also, in addition to pushing... Adolin to, to to be the best man he can be. He also is is not so subtly nudging him towards. Oh, and uh, by the way, do what you can to uh, bond a spren, will ya? And go go become a radiant, like that. That was not that that was fairly blunt. What he was going out there of saying, hey, you, you need to work on this. And I think some of the other radiants have actually mentioned this to Adolin too. Like, hey man, why haven't you gone and bonded a spren? And Adolin even thinks at one point, it's like as if it were that easy. Right, and it seems like for some characters, it has been that easy. Like we think of the the Windrunners and the different characters we've met that are just like, oh, I want to go become a Windrunner. 
and they do. They go hang out with the windrunners. They become a squire and they they bond a sprint if there's a sprint available. So it seems like it seems like Adolin is fairly intentionally choosing not to pursue that. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Well, you do, have you put together why yet? It's a very deliberate reason. Well, I think it might be because of his sword. Right. His, the spren. He refuses well, to give up Maya. Yeah. Which, I, I guess that makes sense, right? Because if he does bond a spren, he can no longer touch that sword. Right. And so he'll have he'll have to lose her. So there's that. I, I, I feel like there's more, though. It, it's almost an act of rebellion. Like, he doesn't want to become a radiant because everyone's telling him he should be. Right. And he's kind of like, well, why should I? Like, if, if you're all going to force me to do it, that makes me want to not do it. Which I, I almost can, I almost can defend that. Like, I don't, does he need to be one? I I don't think he does. I mean, I he, I don't think he need to be a superhero to, to change the world. So I, I think he can be himself. I, I want to talk about uh, what Trevor mentioned for a second. Because one of my biggest thoughts reading this was that he like doesn't want to give up his his shard blade, Maya. He's like really developed a, a fondness there. And I cannot help but think that he's somehow gonna bring this sprint back. I don't know how that's possible, because it's been said that it's just impossible. Yeah. But like I I don't know what other than his stubbornness, which still makes sense, that still adds up entirely. Um, it, it, it's starting to seem like it's gonna—it's pointing more towards that. We definitely saw that throughout the end of Oathbringer, um, and honestly, like a long-lasting connection to a shard blade before he realized it was a dead spren, you know, and got to, I guess, meet her sort of in Shadesmore. Um, because she, she she's already kind of done the impossible, right? She like saved his life. Yep. And she and she's not supposed to do anything, right? So I think she'll come. I th- I think it'll happen. And you're segueing us into the next chapter really well. Chapter twenty two, we we see some of this in action, and I was actually a little surprised by this because we see Kaladin interacting with Maya, and you know introducing her to everyone and. Adolin. Uh, yeah, Adolin, sorry. Adolin and, and Maya. Adolin's introducing her to, to everyone, showing her how to do things. She ends up like helping him brush brush his horse. But the other Spren are like mocking him for this. They're like, oh, she's a she's it's a dead impossible. eye. Why why are you even talking to him? Yeah, that, that's impossible. I, I would have thought that they would have had more of a respect for her. That they would be more like almost sad. Right. Like, oh, that that's a that's a dead person you're talking to. They almost treat her like she's completely gone in a in the sense of of death. Instead of the like sadness of, oh yeah, that's a person, but she she's left us now. It's more of a that's a thing. Why are you talking to it? And that that seemed odd to me. And it and it spurs on, you know, Adolin's kind of stubbornness, right? He, he that it makes him even more want to get Maya to engage with him, which she kind of does. Like he, she does things that shocks the other Spren. Yeah, that's definitely I, my theory that you brought up, Paul, as well. Is that 
the everything does seem to be pointing to resurrecting Maya at some point because she's already done things that the Spren deem impossible. So if the the Spren say that resurrecting her is impossible, then you know we've already proven that their information is not trustworthy with what Maya's done mm-hmm. already. Exactly, and uh, the biggest thing that is really sticking out to me kind of like a sore thumb right now is what Elliot mentioned a little bit. That our Spren don't seem to revere her that much, but the only thing that bugs me about that is how angry they seem to get about the old Spren that have died because of humans. Yeah. Which there is a bit of a disconnect there, but it's like being afraid of that, but not caring at all for those who've died, I guess, or, or it seems wishy-washy to me. Yeah. I agree. As we're having this discussion, I'm, I'm starting to think that the wheels, gears are turning. What if Adolin reawakening Maya, bringing her back from the dead, what if that could be the start of like healing that relationship between humans and Spren. Like you said, there's this huge divide between Spren and humans because so many of them are saying, oh, well, humans betrayed us. They killed thousands of us. We'll never trust them again. What if Adolin could discover a way to bring those Spren back from the dead? And if they could spread that, if they could learn how to do that and they could save all those Spren, that could be the turning of the tide against this in this war against Odium. What if, what if that got... What if Adolin could do that? Adolin can unlock that. And then that brings all of the Spren onto the human side against Odium. <clears throat> that would be incredibly powerful and pivotal in this whole story, I think, maybe. This is just kind of me spitting thoughts here, but that could be big. I agree big time. I like that a lot. I don't know if this feeds in or it's just coincidence, but what is uh, what kind type of Spren is Maya? Maya is a cultivation spren, right? She is. She's a dead cultivation spren, and which is the edge dancers. So, regrowth, regrowing the bond between spren and and humans, maybe as maybe like a fourth, fifth ideal. Very fun. There we go. I like it. All right, we'll come back to. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll come back to the Shadesmar group here in a second. But for chapter twenty-three, Kaladin's not quite alone. Who do we who, who do we have staying behind? Teft. Teft. So Teft comes into Kaladin and says, "You know, I'm 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 mentally ill too. I need to I need to stay behind, and we're 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 gonna stick with this stick in this together and." I'm gonna I'm gonna stay behind and treat my mental illness, and then Kaladin, you know, goes back and forth with him a couple times, and then eventually agrees. And then as soon as he agrees, Teft like jumps up. He's like, "Great, okay, now what are we gonna do?" And Kaladin says, well, "Aren't we going to the Ardens to talk about your mental illness?" You're like, "No, like, why would we do that?" And that's how the chapter ends. So, I just... shout out to Teft. Huge shout out! I loved this scene. This was so cool. I. I saw Teft as potentially stepping up and taking a, a more important role in the Windrunners now that Kaladin was leaving. 
but he doesn't do that. He leaves the Windrunners to go take care of Kaladin, which that was, that was super cool. Yeah, I, I agree. It actually started to give me some Frodo and Sam vibes because Kaladin, or, or maybe it's the, the narrator, I'm not quite sure. There's a, there's a discussion there about sort of the the diligent sergeant who takes care of his of his officer, the the kind of junior man who looks out for the the leader when the leader is you know not necessarily watching out for for themselves, and that totally reminded me of the the Frodo and Sam dynamic where Sam as the the servant, if you will, is is fully dedicated completely to to his master and the the influence that. J.R.R. Tolkien brought into that from his experience in in the army in World War One, and just that that sort of dynamic that that you see a lot, right? Of the the passionate officer, the leader who does a good job of taking care of his his team, but maybe not himself. He needs that other person to kind of watch out for him, and that's what Sam is to Frodo, and apparently that's kind of what Teft is now to Kaladin. So super cool. Yeah, I completely agree. I think this is my favorite tough moment so far. Really? Uh, the bar the bar was low there, to be honest. Uh, don't get the too bar excited is to not our fans. Low. To to all of our fans who <laughs> His third ideal is awesome. How can you say the bar is low? At the end of Oathbringer he goes, I will protect those I hate, even if the one I hate most is myself. He pulls a shard blade and single handedly de- defends your Ethiru. And you're saying that bar is low. <laughs> I'm offended. Dang. <laughs> See, I don't remember if it actually offended you or not whenever my Teft rating was so low on our thing. Because I remember me. you being like, oh, it's okay, like, kind of thing in my head. You were like, you know, your opinion's your opinion, you know. But then I said that, and I think it broke you a little bit, and I'm so sorry. Um, I was just wanting to say that, as I said... I just wanted to clarify, keep the record straight, as I was like, oh, this is my favorite Teft moment. That, like, don't get high hopes that he's going to be in my, my favorite characters list, but... Um, oh, I'm sorry. I need to stop talking. Next next, next part. Someone else take <laughs> us. I need a moment. Oh, man. I I really enjoyed that Teft moment. I really did. Me too. Uh, one other tidbit from this chapter, completely unrelated to the, the Kaladin Teft dynamic. We get confirmation that Yasna has sworn the fourth ideal. And I think we suspected this before, but it was clearly in black and white on the page. Yasna has sworn the fourth ideal. Now, I think that was the first moment where it was you know, completely confirmed for us. So I think we had talked before of uh, who might have been the first to get to the fourth. I, this doesn't seem to maybe confirm that, whether there's someone else who might be at fourth. Shalon, maybe. But Yasna is. True, true. Besides, yeah. And, but but th- that seemed important to know that. The Yasna is for sure there on the fourth, ideal. And maybe Hoyd. We entertained the fact that Hoyd might have already, already sped run Lightweavers. All right. But yes, for for the record, great Teft moment. Certainly not the best, but great Teft moment. 
All right, back to Vale, Radiant, and Shallan. We're sitting on a barge. And let me just take a step back and ask you guys real quick. We're back on a voyage in Shadesmar. What are your guys' thoughts on this, just as like a storytelling point of view? When I listened to this for the first time, I thought to myself, I had just like given myself a crash course on Oathbringer right before I read Rhythm before. And I just thought to myself, man, we just did this. Like we just went on a a voyage through Shadesmar, and then here we go again, same characters, minus Kaladin. So it's even worse. You know, just it's just my point of perspective. But I, I feel like We've already done this, and I was kind of frustrated that we were doing this again. What, what were you guys think, thinking? I, I I feel I felt similarly, Trevor. I was kind of like, well, here we go again. You know, um, I would say all of our ex expeditions that we've read so far have been very different from each other, and so this one feels a little more like repetitive i guess but i mean it's the first notable re like storyline kind of repeat right arc repeat i guess that i can point to so i'm not gonna hate on it but i am like not incredibly excited which is funny because we're in shadesmar right but yeah and like in I'm I'm going to tack on one more thought to one more clarification to my comment. I guess like in comparison, not as excited. I am still very excited for this. Um and very engaged. But since it's like it almost sort of feels like a repeat or, or like the same thing going on, um it's not like the fresh new excitement, but it is very uh exciting stuff. So it's taking me back to Way of Kings, actually, where we had Kaladin chapters that were full of action, and we had Shallan chapters that were full of lore and history. Oh yeah, and, and it was it was very clear. Like that was that was maybe the extreme example. I don't know that we're we're fully that far now, but <clears throat> it's starting to be like the physical realm are the action chapters, and Shadesmar is the lore and history area. Like here we are, we're just going to sit on ship and, and talk about how Spren and Shadesmar work. Which don't get me wrong is, is very interesting, and I, I really enjoy those chapters. But it's starting to maybe head down that direction of, and he, now we're going to take a pause from the action and go sit with uh, Shalon and Adolin on the ship as they talk about Spren. And it's just, it we've been away from that for a little while, like a book and a half, a while where we had a a much more mixed action and talking and sort of things. Maybe we're headed back to a more delineated action pause, action pause. Yeah, no, that's a good thought comparing it to Wave Kings. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, I agree with you. What's the big name drop in, in chapter 24 to, to leave us off on? You're talking about the unmade? I am. They uh, you are making me say more more names again here. Ba-Ado ba Mishram? I think we've said this name before. Yep. Close, yeah. Ba Edo Mishram. Edo, yeah. okay. Okay. Ba Edo Mishram. They reveal a little bit of information about this unmade, which I felt was was useful. They they talk about that this unmade was the I think they mentioned it was one of the more powerful ones, perhaps the most powerful of the unmade. 
they mentioned that this unmade was the source of the forms of power that the singers have gave yeah. those that ability to them and then also seemed to, to specify that the capture and the imprisonment of this in, unmade in a gemstone was the moment when the singers got imprisoned in parchment form it took away from them those forms of power pushing them down into the it, dull form is the same thing as parchment right yeah the part of that that really caught my eye was this super powerful, awesome, unmade, captured in a gemstone. One, we've seen this before, because Dalinar just did this recently. Yep. Captured a, an unmade, the Thrill. What was the official, what's the name of the Thrill one? Nergaul. That one. And then threw it in the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and then... But we also know of another gemstone or sphere that has something in it that we're trying to figure it out. And that's the dark sphere that we've been tracking ever since day one of, of this podcast. The immediate thought, Paul, I'm sure your brain was probably going this way too. What if that dark sphere that Navani is trying to figure out, what if that is Ba'edo Mishram trapped in that sphere there? That's a good, that's a really good point. My only thought with that is, haven't we seen, like, haven't we seen Ba'edo Mishram before? As far as I know, there's not, like, illusions. I feel like we would have heard that, like, they're trapped or they're stuck or not around or something anymore. And my understanding is whenever they're trapped in these spheres, that they're st stuck, like, have no longer have influence, like, on the world. So, so I thought it was just some unnamed unmade because we haven't seen them all as far as i know so a couple right. things that I'll, I'll mention here you have heard ba'edo mishram before but you've heard you've just heard the name in, like in historical texts like in the in-world words of radiance when they talk about the unmade and that's when we got introduced to them um ba'edo mishram is is mentioned and then uh Yeah, uh, we've we we have not seen her on screen. If that helps you at all with your theory, second, try to trace in your head where that dark sphere came from, where it was passed from Zeth to Navani. Where did Zeth get it? Gavilar. Where did Gavilar get it? Do we know? We know he had a bunch we don't, of these, but. Potentially. So we connected to the heralds. Didn't we see it in the pre prologue? The heralds pre are present. Yes. Yeah. Prologue in this book. So in my head, it's connected to the heralds. We we've also know that Gavilar's been to Shadesmar and maybe even been to Braze, yep. the planet. So potentially straight from one of those sources. Yes, and yeah, what I'm trying to get at is the tr the mention of travel to Braze. There. We don't know that's where he got the spheres from, but um, that's that's what I'm alluding to here. So I don't know if it would make sense in my head that Ba'edo Mishram would be in a gemstone on Braze, assuming that's where he got it. Maybe it's not, but yeah, I don't know. And then the third thing I want to bring up here, 
unless you guys have something on that. Go. So the third thing I want to bring up here is a little bit of a history recap. The prelude to the Stormlight Archive is when the Oath Pact starts, right? And they lock away Talon and the final desolation ends. And there's 4,000 years of peace. That is when the Knights Radiant really come into their own as like peacemakers of Roshar and they establish civilization on Roshar to, for keeps. And what, what everybody refers to as, you know, the old Knights Radiant or uh, the, I don't remember the other name for them. Um, but that's what they're like. The Knights Radiant who lived in Urethiru, um, that's between the prelude and today um, is the timeline there. And the recreants happens then as well. I want you guys to think about this for a second. Who are the Knights Radiant fighting on Roshar during the recreants? I feel like we may have touched on this a while back, and I'm trying to remember. It's not the singers, because... Or or is it the singers? Hey. They just it's, are referred to as the void bringers, right? Yes. So his history lumps listeners, singers, fused as void bringers. Like they're all they're all void bringers. It's not the fused because they were sealed in the prelude. Right. It could be unfused singers that they're fighting, right? Mm-hmm. And then somehow they get the revelation of the singers are the original occupants of Roshar. We're laying down our weapons. Are you guys, are you guys tracking with me? Yes. So, if the fused haven't been on Roshar for however long, and the recreance happens, Bot Ado Mishram has to be in there somewhere. Is is what I'm kind of getting at here? Because in order for the rec, in order for the Knights Radiant to be fighting actively fighting the Singers. They have to have forms of power instead of just being parchment. Right? So I would assume that parchment happened after the recreants and they were fighting active singers, pulled them of their powers, made them parchment after the recreants. Are you guys tracking with me or am I losing you? No, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and I think the reason why the old knights radiant lay down their weapons is because they're not fighting the fused. The fused are, fu- are the fused are sealed. They're fighting the singers who are, for all intents and purposes, fairly innocent. Right? They they they're just living on Roshar at the time when the humans come onto Ro- Roshar. So the singers and the listeners or whoever are are fairly innocent. It's the fused that are the, the actual enemy of the humans, right? So if they're not fighting the fuse, why are they fighting? Is is the is the idea there? Yep, tracking with all that. So, that was a long way to say you don't think Ba Edo Mishram is trapped. I think. I don't think Ba. I think Ba Edo Mishram is in there somewhere. Is 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 in the okay. recreants somewhere? Okay. But the, I think the question faced with by our characters now is where is Ba Edo Mishram now? Right. 
And the, the question I'm thinking of is, could that dark sphere that Navani is looking into, could that be, we, we've already theorized it, it could likely be an unmade, could it be Ba'edo Mishram? I guess the question to follow up with on that is, if Ba'edo Mishram is still entrapped, why have the parchment awakened? Yep. Why are they now discover rediscovering their forms of power? Would Ba'edo Mishram have to be released for that to happen? Yep. Potentially. So maybe that's some evidence against... I'm not sure I'm going to rule it out, though. Maybe they're figuring out another way to access them somehow. Yep. Uh, I'm on the same page as you. That Not even sure if she's trapped or freed at this point. Hard to tell. Any closing thoughts for, for this episode? As always, I'm excited to read more. I feel like these chapters were a little bit slower, a little more lore-focused, which was not a bad thing. It's been a fast start to Rhythm of War, so this was a chance to kind of sit back a little bit and, and soak up some some history, but it, as usual, is making me excited to, to read more and see what's next. I agree. <laughs> no further questions, Your Honor. I'm looking forward to reading more. Elliot, you have this in the outline, and... We didn't quite get to it, but I did want to mention it, that some of the best visual descriptions of Shadesmar that we've gotten up until this point are in these chapters. Uh, when they j jump into Shadesmar, they look back at the tower, and it's just this swirling vortex of all these different spren, and then a high storm comes through, and all the beads light up. Like I, I think there's some really cool visuals of Shadesmar, and I just wanted to mention that real quick. Oh, that could be an incredible visual adaptation if if done correctly yeah <clears throat> that description i loved it where they go into into shades mar they're on the Oathgate platform and i can just envision them you know turning around to look back at at Eurythiru, and instead of a tower there's just this tower shape made out of just all spren just every single type of spren you could think of they're all glowing with different colors it's just all light and moving and swirling and it's this massive you know mountain-sized tower oh man that could look you know I, all of that like against the what i envision as kind of the dark background of, of shades mar yeah that could be like i want to see that in an imax theater that would be awesome yeah i totally agree all right with that we will reconvene next week thanks for joining me paul and elliot see ya peace